Hello, you're listening to Streaming Audio, and I think the word that sums up today's episode is usability. How do we take all these wonderful tools we've been building, like Apache Kafka and Kafka Streams and Kafka Connect and things like that, and then make them usable by as many people as possible? Because I'm a programmer, and as a programmer, it's starting to feel like stream processing is going mainstream. But is it destined to stay mainstream just for programmers? Or can we build tools that open these ideas up to business analysts, data scientists, marketing people, maybe an AI model training team? Will those kinds of people be forever beholden to the programming sprint backlog? Or can we give them tools that can help them serve themselves? Well, my guest today certainly thinks we can do that. I'm joined by Stefan Hollinger, who's co-founded a company called Airy. They started off building things like chatbots for better customer service. And they realized along the way that to build a better chatbot, you need to give it better data about the context of that chat, ideally in real time. So you need to make pulling in and joining different data sets easy for the people that want to build their chatbots. And so they're gradually expanding from making it easy to build bots to making it easy to build general stream processing pipelines, uh, ideally without too much coding. We talk about that journey, and we talk a lot about their ultimate goal, which is to make the final experience for your customers better. So this episode is brought to you by Confluent Developer, and more about that at the end. But for now, I'm your host, Chris Jenkins. This is Streaming Audio. Let's get into it. And joining me today is Stefan Hollinger. Stefan, how are you doing out there? Great. Thank you, Chris. Pleasure to be on the show. Good to have you. Are you over in Germany? Yes, I'm uh, at the moment in Berlin, Germany, and it's freezing cold outside. (laughs) Yeah, it's probably a lot worse than um, England, and England isn't that warm today. But we didn't come to talk about the weather. You are the CEO and one of the co-founders of Airy. Right. And we're going to get into what that is in a minute. But I always wonder, because I read your your bio, and you co-founded this with two friends. And I always wonder in that situation, where were you in life when you thought, here's an idea worth building a company around? Yeah, I think it's it's quite interesting, because um, me and my co-founders, we were always passionate about um, customer experiences and how you can actually design those. And uh, we were ultimately frustrated with how bad um, these uh, still were, despite the technology being available. So we kept discussing how can you, how we can actually improve those and uh, kind of put technology to use um, in a better sense. Um, yeah, to really uh, create groundbreaking experiences uh, for customers, being customers ourselves. Um, so I think this was the starting point uh, when we uh, kind of realized we want to go into this, uh, especially with uh, machine learning and all these exciting. Uh, things becoming more and more accessible, uh, we really felt now is the time to uh, get started. So did you think you're sitting there thinking customer experiences are important, they kind of suck, and machine learning's fun, we could put them together somehow? Or was it more was it more crystallized than that? It was definitely more crystallized. <laughs> uh, a, a journey over a couple of years discussing uh, back and forth, uh, so uh, I was involved um, in a company called Delivery Hero. Uh, my co-founder was one of the uh, people that started uh, Groupon in the UK. 
Um, and um, yeah, I think we were both passionate about uh, the subject and uh, we're really, uh, you know, uh, being customers ourselves, frustrated with airlines and other companies that you had to call on the phone, wait in line forever. Uh, and then uh, ultimately you're being connected from one person to the other. You keep telling your story over and over again. And you think, why is the company not able to bring the data that they already have on me together in a more meaningful way so that I can have a more joyful experience as a customer and right. the company can save money at the same time? Yeah, yeah. I've, I think everyone's had that experience where you enter your account number via the automated dialing system and then someone finally picks up the phone and says, what's your account number? That's the classic. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and in the this? end, they have you read your credit card number aloud on the phone, which is yeah, not only yeah, yeah. insecure, but uh, I mean, a stupid uh, task for a human to type that in uh, over the phone. Yeah. So from that universal experience of customer service sucking, which we've all had, you went into two of my favorite topics, real-time data and machine learning. So reveal, what, what is the business? What does Aerie actually do with those two great topics? Yeah, Aria is an um, open source app framework for data streaming. Um, so what we do is we uh, ingest data and uh, we stream that uh, on top of Apache Kafka. And um, then we um, enable you to uh, build microservices around that or uh, to uh, yeah, plug in standardized connectors so that it talks to your business system. So it can pull in data and it also can send data to other systems and uh, also trigger workflows inside the organization. Right. So, But so far, that sounds like Kafka. That sounds like the pitch for Kafka. So what are you adding on top of that? Uh, I think we're adding a layer of standardization that uh, ultimately enables people to get started much faster. So uh, we want to make it more accessible, not only to, uh, let's say, the people that studied computer science and uh, have 10 years of experience in data streaming uh, uh, applications plus uh, coding in Java and all of these kind of things. But uh, we ultimately want to, make, want to make it more accessible because we believe it's a groundbreaking technology and it should uh, actually make its way uh, to the hands of more people. Uh, and this is what we're trying to do with uh, with Aerie. Right, yeah. So where does ML come into that? Um, ML comes in uh, because we started actually out on the conversational uh, AI and conversational experience uh, side of things. So when we started Aerie, we uh, kind of yeah, were playing around with uh, chatbots. Obviously, it was the <laughs> high season before everybody went into crypto. Uh, and uh, <laughs> now I think they're leaving again, so they might come back to AI and machine learning uh, topics. Um, but yeah, uh, I think these, uh, this was the time when uh, when we started ARI and we never really believed uh, to automate too much too soon, but to rather enable um, a human-assisted experience uh, with the help of uh, machine learning so that basically in the end, it's still a human that uh, has to decide most of the things like, are you entitled to get a refund? Uh, can I rebook you on this flight? Because the systems are not perfectly integrated, especially in a, in a larger enterprise. It's uh, sometimes difficult to uh, even access the data that is sitting in some silos or uh, there's not even an API to uh, automate some of these things. So you kind of need the human in the middle. And um, so we uh, always were uh, trying to integrate uh, with existing systems that the company is already using for uh, contact center software, for example, or um, help desk software like Zendesk. So uh, if the company was already using that, we try to uh, leverage um, uh, chatbots plus uh, the existing software stack of the company. And in that regard, we uh, yeah, built it out, built out um, uh, standard integrations uh, with these kind of uh, both uh, 
conversational AI systems. Uh, there are a bunch uh, available uh, from all the big um, cloud companies, obviously, also some independent ones. Uh, some of them are open source. So uh, we offer integrations with all of them. Um, plus, we uh, integrate with uh, contact center software and uh, yeah, business systems, ERP systems, CRM, etc. Right. So I'm not entirely clear yet. What's the... What's the different customer experience that someone's having now? Um, yeah, I think it's um, it boils ultimately down to the fact that um, in conversational AI, uh, historically, uh, because all of these systems um, were built in Python, um, let's say the, the whole topic of uh, joining data uh, comes more as an afterthought. So um, it's uh, it's really the case that uh, often these systems try to, uh, when you have an incoming message, for example, somebody is reaching out to you as a company over WhatsApp or, or via Instagram oh, yeah. or uh, Messenger or on Google Maps, for example, you have um, an incoming request and then you do intent recognition first. And then um, after you recognize the intent um, with a certain confidence level, you need to kick off a, a so-called action. And then uh, you send out one or several API calls and you reintegrate that. Uh, often that is uh, not leading to the designated results. Plus, we have a problem, um, uh, yeah, even reintegrating uh, the API responses. So, um, what we try to bring to the table is we try to uh, enrich the context of an incoming uh, event, yeah, already before it hits the ML model. In this case, uh, we're talking often about uh, large language models uh, that uh, are um, used for the purpose of uh, intent recognition. Um, uh, so, we try to uh, uh, built-in dynamic features uh, into the model that enable it to understand the context, for example, in which the customer is reaching out uh, to a specific company much better. So um, in that regard, joining the data already on the level of the data streaming uh, system before it hits the conversational AI model. So is this like, I mean, I've had this experience with chatbots on websites. You say, why hasn't my order 5678 shown up? And all you get back is like an FAQ search index pretending to be a human being. And it kind of sucks. And it's you're saying it's because they haven't wired their chatbot into the order system that could potentially recognize the order ID I've just told them about. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's often not even obvious which order system uh, you mean, especially within a large company. Uh, they have several systems side by side. So uh, if you don't pull in the data first, who you even are as a customer, uh, the system will have a hard time even finding you um, inside uh, yeah, one of the one of the silos. Yeah, because that's a classic thing with like customer support people. They often need access just when they're human beings. They need access to a lot of different systems to actually answer your question. Exactly. And this is, for example, what we do as well. So uh, when the confidence level of the, um, uh, of the intent, for example, is too low, yeah, mm -hmm. we can also suggest the response that we believe is the right response to the agent. Uh, and then the agent acts almost like a trader. So we can have a, um, a feedback loop there uh, that is increasing our confidence over time, uh, kind of retraining the model uh, while the customer support people kind of select the right answer. Um, but uh, as, as you said, yes, uh, most of these models at, uh, at the moment, they're not personalized at all. So they're automated, yes, but they're just automated FAQ uh, models. Yeah. And as soon as you uh, yeah, ask about a specific order, uh, they basically cannot help you anymore and will always um, yeah, try to connect you with a human being that, uh, that can help you. So you're back in square one. Yeah, yeah. They do kind of suck. They just 
they're just uh, often, like I say, the search index pretending to be a human being, right? So take yeah. take me through the actual event because you've because the structure of this must be interesting. You've got a mixture of real time data coming through. Um, kind of semi-real-time joining to data silo databases stuff. You've presumably got a big batch job training the machine learning models in there too. That's lots of fun data stuff. So give me give me the uh, give me the architecture diagram in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we um, uh, what we what you actually get with Aerie is kind of um, um, a layer. Um, running on Kubernetes um, on the side of uh, Kafka. So uh, if you use the open source version, uh, you get an embedded um, uh, Kafka cluster inside uh, the Kubernetes cluster, or you can also use it uh, and connect it to an existing Kafka cluster that you're already using inside the organization, for example, the ones that uh, Confluent is, uh, is offering. Uh, so uh, this is supported What an excellent well. choice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I shouldn't that, be so commercial, sense, sorry. Uh, uh, given that, uh, I mean, uh, some of the largest banks, insurance companies, automotive companies, telco companies, they already uh, are um, customers of Confluence. So it makes total sense like to allow them to use their existing infrastructure also from a data yeah. perspective because we want to integrate with that data that they're already streaming. Uh, yeah. Plus, we actually want to enable their teams to go to production much faster because we offer um, then um, uh, a bunch of components inside the system. And this uh, means uh, both um, on the UI side, but also um, on the um, on the side to uh, yeah, enable engineers, for example, to uh, yeah, kind of build out uh, prototypes and bring them to uh, production much, much faster and in a more robust way. Uh, this is the reason why we uh, kind of position us as an app framework. Um, and um, in that regard, we have uh, several components that uh, come with Airy, plus um, a variety of connectors that you can um, that you can put in. Uh, and we offer SDKs to write your own connectors. So in case we don't offer a connector um, yet, uh, we actually enable people to uh, write their own uh, connectors. Um, and uh, our connectors, in that sense, are a bit different um, than, for example, the source and sync connectors that uh, Confluent is offering. But because okay. everything runs on Kafka, it actually can be uh, combined with those. So, uh, for for example, when uh, when we want to write to a data lake or a data warehouse, we would not write a new connector, but we would basically just enable people to um, kind of uh, use an open source uh, connector or just uh, yeah install the the Confluent connector. Uh, but right. uh, when we are uh, ingesting data, for example, from um, a conversational source like uh, like WhatsApp, there is currently no uh, connector for that in the Confluent oh, okay. ecosystem. So we allow people kind of to subscribe to, uh, in this case, the webhook that is sending events and we're ingesting those events um, into the cluster and uh, then distributing them obviously over uh, yeah, the amount of nodes you need. Uh, plus uh, we uh, then enable different uh, services to, um, to uh, yeah, consume and produce through the stream. So, uh, so to speak, uh, for example, uh, to join events, uh, to kind of uh, enrich um, the incoming uh, events, uh, for example, via conversational AI integrations, and then ultimately uh, trigger back a response, yeah, so that the, the, um, there is an immediate reaction um, uh, to the customer, uh, but also, uh, for example, to yeah, write all the data at the same time 
streaming that into a data lake so you can actually analyze that later. Uh, you can train your machine uh, learning models in batch mode asynchronously like all on all the historic data. At the same okay. time, we believe there is a unique quality of uh, real-time data bringing that together. So you not only have... Uh, uh, yeah, the, all the historic data to train your models, but uh, you also make them more context aware and uh, yeah, uh, you enable them to react to uh, things that happen in real time, yeah, which is ultimately important for some use cases, not only for chatting with a, uh, with a customer, but also for like uh, making decisions uh, and predictions on the fly. Okay, so so the way this would work then is I start off with connecting to, I don't know, a uh, Postgres database of customer orders and WhatsApp and a naive initial model, uh, ML model, I get a whole bunch of real-life responses going out to another topic, and then I run that back over the ML model to try and improve it. Ideally, yes. Uh, in practice, <laughs> there's sometimes more uh, more to it, and we have to actually uh, jump in a lot and uh, try to help customers. So um, some uh, some customers already do, uh, I think, a great job there, having their own ML teams that actually use this to um, to add features to uh, to their models mm. uh, in real time, which often is a is a big problem for them. Uh, um, yeah, because uh, effectively, like the ML engineers, uh, they request a bunch of, uh, of features and then the data engineers tell them, yeah, actually can give you only uh, a part of that. So we try to um, yeah, enable also in this case, ML engineers to uh, kind of yeah, supply their, their models uh, with, uh, with real-time data much easier. So they don't have to go uh, and build a data pipeline every single time, but we can try to um, uh, enable them doing it, uh, doing it on their own. Uh, without actually making a big big request to um, the backend team or the um, data engineering team first, um, yeah. But uh, ultimately, I think uh, you summarized it quite well. Okay, I, I think I'm almost interested more in the places where it doesn't go so smoothly, <laughs> <laughs> because th because that's where we can really learn what what the difference yeah. we're trying to make is in building these systems, yes. right? So yes, I think without naming any names. Tell me a customer yeah. that really struggled and you helped out. Yeah, I think uh, in the end, it's always, you know, like this um, this thing that people have this um, experience in mind, yeah? maybe inspired by um, by movies like like Her, which we are big fans of. Uh, oh, and, yeah, that's uh, a great Ultimately, film. we want to go down, go down that, uh, that route and kind of um, enable technology to stay in the background and people basically can, can live there pleasant lives and in, in the background technology is solving all the issues for you uh, with the help yeah. of machine learning. Um, uh, we're not totally there yet, uh, I assume, and the whole industry is not. So it's pretty exciting what is currently going on with uh, all these new trends in, in terms of generative AI and um, um, uh, uh, GitHub Copilot and all of these other things uh, in that aspect. But um, um, yeah, we're, I would say, in the earliest days of uh, like defining these experiences. Uh, mm -hmm. And at the moment, it's often uh, human trying to uh, achieve a certain result, like getting a refund, and then uh, achieving that is pretty complicated. Uh, even if you uh, have access to um, to uh, yeah people that want to push this at companies and um, and um, yeah a lot of resources that they want to dedicate to uh, improving the experiences in practice, often it's hard uh, to achieve that result, and um, often. What we see is you struggle, um, I mean, even at the earliest stages yeah, where uh, you need to make sense, for example, uh, what uh, location somebody is, uh, is referring to. So we're trying to basically help people 
getting the basics right yeah without trying mm -hmm. to jump to an automated solution too soon yeah because uh when you uh when you enable like um those kind of um experiences you can already make a big difference yeah you might not be able to fully automate the request yeah but you can actually help the human agent that will eventually get the request um anyways um to uh, have more context about Uh, what is the customer inquiring about? So, uh, for example, what we often do is we um, we try to make sense of uh, uh, where is the customer coming from, what is the right context, and then not only try to uh, write that context uh, towards the model because the model might not be trained um, on that uh, on that aspect, but uh, a human agent is. So, a human agent is uh, effectively able to take that into consideration, and this is. Uh, what we're trying to uh, to solve while getting there step by step and automating uh, more and more over time. So does that mean you're doing things like, um, let me think of an example, your automated agent can't actually process a refund, but it can tell that you're talking about a parcel not arriving at home, so it mixes in with the order, the home address, and maybe some details about the parcel carrier that goes to that area. And like automate, if it yes. can't automate the solution, it's automating bringing the context together. Yes, or it can basically, let's say, you can aggregate in the stream, for example, the information that this customer that is inquiring uh, at the moment to get a refund is ordering once a week, and like the total purchase value uh, in the last uh, in the last year was um, a few thousand uh, dollars. So uh, you might want to treat that customer. Uh, in a preferred way compared to uh, other customers. So, uh, yeah, we, for example, uh, would write a, a, a ticket into Zendesk uh, for the agent to handle that and uh, um, actually, yeah, um, in that in that ticket, uh, provide not only the information, uh, what the customer is inquiring about, but also uh, put in relevant metadata information that enables the agent ultimately decide if the customer is, uh, is uh, entitled to get a refund. Okay. But are you making that decision? Because including that data, that feels to me like just a join. But are you also making a decision about which data you could include, but don't? Like, are you are you cleaning up the context? Or are you just throwing everything at the, the customer service person? I mean, uh, cleaning it up um, is often a bit difficult because um, it, it depends. It depends how you actually uh, get to the schema of the data, and often the schema is um, is uh, let's say a bit wild, yeah. Especially when you uh, integrate with a bunch of services at the yeah, same yeah. time. So we talked to one airline. I think they integrated 27 services in parallel, and the only way to resolve that was by having a human uh, manually uh, uh, put in the tasks because you could not possibly automate that anymore. Um, so mm -hmm. what we're trying to do there is we're trying to uh, keep the, the data as, um, as close as possible to the original event, and we extract metadata from that. So that often works, but not always. So uh, in, in case we find the right metadata, we would always expose that metadata to the, to the human agent or to the model respectively. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, let's say uh, if you see new event types, uh, there might be there might be some uh, manual work uh, required to actually get that into the model. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, okay. So this we're actually moving partly into another one of our favorite topics on streaming audio, which is uh, data mesh, right? The idea that you've got all these data sets you need to clean yeah. up and uh, get in a decent publishable productized format before you even join them do you find yourselves yeah. going into customers and becoming data mesh consultants as well 
I mean, ultimately, we're not trying to because we we try to enable um, outputs. Uh, but yeah, I think this is a big trend that is currently going on. And also, um, speaking of that, um, uh, is is actually um, a really good topic in terms of uh, this, the disposable character of data. So in that regard, um, I think enabling people to, let's say, um, get access to uh, to data and uh, ask specific questions, uh, write it into a store, get their um, job done and then ultimately just throw it away i think this is really groundbreaking in that um, in that aspect and um, what we believe in is that uh, ultimately people should uh, store events for much longer also in the stream because the stream is actually the perfect um uh, yeah let's say component in that uh, in that aspect to uh, yeah kind of um, don't have to do reverse ETL and all of these kind of things afterwards because you wrote mm. the data in a specific schema in your data warehouse and then uh, it sits there as it is. But uh, this is also something we had to learn the hard way because uh, in the earliest days when you uh, when you start start out, you write, um, uh, we actually did um, uh, did versioning um, and we uh, we had to migrate a lot of the data whenever basically something changed in the, in the schema. So uh, we ultimately stopped doing that at all. So we tried to, uh, stay as close as possible to the original um, event and uh, basically take that uh, yeah, so that we kind of can even travel in time so we can even retroactively, uh, let's say, um, put a connector there and say replay all the events from the last um, six to nine months and then you will end up having uh, or you will ultimately see if the, if the, the model is also holding true uh, for that uh, integration. Yeah, yeah. So you can uh, use it as your master source of truth. Kafka yeah. is this uh, kind of universal glue and event store. Yeah. I mean, you should yeah, not yeah. maybe tell that to some people because uh, there are a lot of people out there that uh, that would say that's the wrong way to to use it because ultimately Kafka is not a database. But uh, we have some topics where we keep uh, retaining events indefinitely at the moment because we yeah, believe oh. that, uh, especially in the communication context, uh, everything can become relevant again even if it's a year old yeah yeah i think we, one day we have to have someone on streaming audio uh, that we can debate is kafka a database <laughs> with because that that would be a good fight and i have strong opinions of my own <laughs> but yeah um and another thing we have to have someone discuss one day is why the default retention period is seven days because I don't understand why it's not infinity and then you decide to throw away data <laughs> if you want to later. Anyway, it, it is it, so it's interesting, these whole repeating problems we see of like getting different data sets cleaned up, connected together, stored in an interesting way, passed back out. I wonder what what experience the developer has with your tool set because i can see in my mind how that works with a combination if i wanted to do something similar with kafka streams and a bunch of connectors i can sort of see how that works no i can see how that works but what's airy like what's the difference there yeah I mean, uh, ultimately, this is what we're doing. Yeah? We're uh, using Kafka Streams um, inside the Airy uh, platform. We're just standardizing a lot of the code. So you actually save yourself quite a bit of time. But yeah, if you have a 80-people uh, team that can actually uh, write all these streaming applications uh, all day long, uh, of <laughs> course, I mean, this is what a lot of uh, large companies do at the moment. Uh, but there is also no alternative uh, at this point. Yeah. So uh, what you are, what you're getting with Aerie is basically um, a boilerplate framework 
uh, that mm. can save you a lot of time. Yeah, not for all the use cases that you might have, but uh, it depends on the use case. And uh, we're um, we're trying to learn. We uh, we just uh, spent, for example, um, now three times in, in Bentonville, Arkansas, uh, being part of the Fuel Accelerator program, uh, which is uh, sponsored by Walmart and uh, the Walton family. So okay. we had actually we were actually exposed to quite a uh, a lot of these problems uh, that are inside of a big organization like Walmart, where you have a lot of resources, a lot of engineers basically working with these um, uh, connectors and they're working with uh, building streaming apps all day long, mostly in this case for supply chain use cases. Um, but um, yeah, ultimately, uh, yeah, it, it boils down to the fact, can you enable these teams to uh, build a prototype faster and then bring it to production uh, also much faster? And I think, uh, for example, Walmart, they did a great job um, in, um, in um, yeah, building a real-time event stream for inventory control and supply chain. Uh, mm -hmm. But it took them uh, about two years to build the application and roll it out to 5,000 stores. Given how uh, slow some of these large enterprises normally move, maybe that's already light speed. Uh, <laughs> but what we're trying to bring to the table with Airy is actually yeah, that you can, um, you can build these experiences much faster. Uh, so what it gives you, if you're, uh, let's say, an experienced backend engineering team, you can actually build on top of it so you don't have to write all the code uh, once more, but it gives you a nice framework uh, within which you can uh, actually build your uh, streaming apps. And uh, you can also mix, you can basically use existing connectors that we offer, for example, to ingest data from Salesforce or from other uh, sources um, um, or uh, to basically uh, write uh, write uh, the, the workflow components that, uh, that we have inside the system to, uh, let's say, create something, change something. So this is like um, a more active approach on application level as compared to, let's say, the Confluent connectors that are mostly about uh, streaming the entirety of data in a specific source to uh, another system. Yeah, so uh, mm. then maybe have some transformations and microservices in the, in the middle. Uh, so we are in that regard uh, working on a different um, abstraction level. So it's more granular, I think, uh, uh, if you want to get something done and something reactive uh, in, in, in real time. So this is, um, I think, quite complementary to, uh, to that aspect. And um, uh, what you also get, for example, is you get um, a, a nice UI control center where you basically can see the status of all your components. Um, we offer some um, UIs out of the box. So uh, we offer um, inbox components, for example, where um, you could, whenever you need a conversational interface, both for, uh, let's say, the, the employee working inside of a, of a company that might uh, need to decide about something. So we believe conversational interfaces are really powerful in that, abs in that aspect. Mm. So we can always power one up. Um, um, and uh, yeah, uh, you can actually uh, yeah, plug uh, your existing uh, Solutions also for monitoring uh, purposes, uh, Grafana, etc. You can plug that in into the system. So we offer also standardized ways of uh, of integrating there. So it generally gives you like a, a, a I would say uh, an advantage to uh, come to production much faster um, to save some resources. Yeah, because um, let's say when you're just a small team, uh, not eighty people, but you only have one or two people. Um, you might actually uh, be much faster where you want to go. Plus, um, yeah, you ultimately end up making some mistakes, not making some mistakes that we made. So uh, we try to uh, make the system also quite robust uh, in that sense. So could you see a team using like a mixture of this to get a fast prototype up and running and then mixing in maybe some very custom Kafka stream stuff to do specific 
difficult practice. Absolutely, I think this yeah. is what uh, this is what uh, we ultimately uh, yeah set out and about to uh, yeah enable these kind of uh, experiences for developers. Uh, but apart from that, I think uh, we also have uh, have people in mind that uh, let's say they might not be streaming experts, but they have a use case where streaming would make a big difference. So I already mentioned machine learning engineers, where we believe that uh, real time features are often missing components in the in the models that they train. So this is a, a group that we are. Um, caring about uh, but also uh, let's say um, looking at business teams yeah so some of the mid-market um, companies that we uh, that we work with uh, they don't have a lot of streaming experience they don't have a lot of uh, engineering resources available so it's yeah. always um, uh, for them it's always um, a trade-off yeah do they uh, basically invest in in this uh, project or another and uh, then let's say something like streaming especially if you don't have the right people that push it inside the organization often is not um, yeah um, prioritized yeah so they basically say we do it later but ultimately this again harms the customer experience from our perspective because uh, we actually believe that much more companies should do data streaming and should use the capabilities of event streaming so we want to make it more accessible even to these kind of uh, companies and some companies we actually work with they don't even know that uh, there is a streaming uh, engine uh, like kafka running um, under the software that they use but uh, basically they just you know use airy they um, plug in a few of the connectors for example um, instagram or um, or salesforce and then they basically pick a um, a conversational AI tool, and then they have a, a running prototype without uh, uh, ever touching a line of code because everything is uh, working in a nice uh, control center UI. So um, yeah. yeah, that's very satisfying because I like touching lines of code, and no one's taking that from me. But I also <laughs> like the idea that other people who aren't quite of my um, of my persuasion <laughs> can um, can get this data moving around in their systems and actually build something easily. That that makes me think that you said um, you did some work in the um, incubator for Walmart, in the Walter family. Yeah. So perhaps perhaps we can move on to this stage of the questioning. Um, where what state is Aerie in as a company? Are you you've launched? Are you are you still finding your market fit? Where are you as a company? Um, yes, I would say we are still in the in the early stages of. Uh, finding uh, finding our market so we're in discussions with uh, let's say um, some of the largest enterprises in the world where we try to basically bring them uh, event streaming um, for some of the contexts uh, that we've talked about so uh, obviously that involves like talking to uh, the data streaming advocates within these companies but uh, also for example a group of people we care about is uh, conversational teams and all of these large companies they have sometimes uh, large conversational teams uh, that uh, at the moment uh, are composed of product managers ai trainers um, conversation designers for example mm -hmm. so uh, we also partnered with the conversation design institute uh, for example to offer a course uh, which is called conversational engineering where we uh, want to bring in the component that you actually need engineering as part of these teams yeah because at the moment it's often um, a discipline that is not present in these teams because ultimately we believe that building these customer experiences and this is what the conversational teams um care about yeah um uh, yeah it's it's effectively a data integration problem yeah because um you need to bring the data, for example, about 
um, who, who are you as a customer? Uh, you need to bring that uh, to the model that, so that you can actually personalize the experience. And we believe down the road, you will actually train much more personalized models. Yeah. So right now, I think these teams are often occupied with automating things, Yeah. but uh, they are not uh, enabled at the moment to even access data that is maybe sitting in some silo within the organization. Um, so uh, yeah, to make it actionable, to really build great um, customer experiences. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard people say half jokingly that, um, you know, like 90% of ML and 90% of data science isn't actually doing ML and data science. It's trying to connect data sources together and groom the data quality and all that rubbish. Exactly. So if, yeah. if you can get past that, you're doing the world a favor. Um, I'm going to ask, so the one thing we are um, unable to do on the podcast is show any diagrams because this is radio. So if someone actually wants to see this in action, where should they go? They can actually go to our website, uh, which is airy.co, and um, they can um, just download um, yeah, the software there, which is uh, open source, so they can play around with it. Uh, we recommend uh, to install it in the, uh, in the cloud of your choice. Uh, you can also run it on-premise, which is a requirement, obviously, that if you're a big bank or insurance company, uh, you have some servers in your basement. Mm-hmm. Um, you uh, you need to have that, obviously. Uh, you can also run it on a local on your local machine if your notebook is... Um, is uh, powerful enough um yeah you can actually do that or you can reach out to us and um and uh, we will yeah get you started with a, um, a test instance and some support to uh, yeah bring your use case to life as soon as possible cool cool well i wish you luck both with the uh, customer experience and the developer experience on the journey thank you so much cheers for joining us catch you again thank you thank you stefan now, if you want to check out Aries toolset, either to use it directly or to inspire tools that you're building for your users, perhaps, you'll find a link in the show notes or head to airy.co slash developers, which is their developer portal. However, if you're already feeling more than inspired enough and you want to get building, just hold on for one second while you click the like button and the subscribe button and the comment box and all those great things. Uh, We'd love to hear from you, as always. And as always, you'll find my contact details in the show notes if you want to contact me directly. For more of our thoughts as a company on stream processing tools, head to developer.confluent.io for courses, tutorials, and blog posts about building your first pipeline and making your second pipeline work even better. If you need a place to run those stream processing pipelines, check out our cloud service for Apache Kafka at confluent.cloud. It's fast to get started, it will scale to enterprise sizes, and if you add the code PODCAST100 to your account, you'll get $100 of extra free credit to run with, so give it a try. And with that, it remains for me to thank Stefan Hollinger for joining us, and you for listening. I've been your host, Chris Jenkins, and I will catch you next time.